The book of Colossians begins with the foundation of life. It tells us about our relationship with God. And then it moves into other relationships, as I said in my prayer. Deals with the home, the household. And Lord's willing, next week we look at the Bible in the marketplace. Today the Bible speaks to children. A very famous, if I would call her name, you would know who it is. Movie actor, Hollywood actor, or actress, was having a really heated diatribe with her daughter. Uh, we used to call it a row. Did you use that word, a row? You have a row with someone. Well, that, that word means to be difficult, to be harsh. It, it means to be rough and to be boisterous. And, and this mother and daughter were having this row. And all of a sudden, she threw her arms up and she said, Listen, when you came, you didn't come with a manual. It, you didn't come telling me what to do with you, how to do it. I tried my best. Well, in a real sense, she was right and she was wrong because there is a manual. It has been given. And, and the trouble is, please listen, the trouble is, is not that the culture in which you and I live don't believe this book. The truth is they don't want it. It's not whether they believe it or not. And I, when, when, when our daughter, our son, when they arrive home and you have the chance of asking them, what did you learn at school today? And they say, um, dad, mom, they were discussing sex. And Lord, Dad and Mom, I want to tell you what they believe. And they say to their children, they taught you that? But don't you believe the Bible, son? Don't you believe the Bible, daughter? They say, that won't work in the classroom. Unless you're going to a Christian school. And let, let me tell you, one of the speakers I, I was listening to last week said he was speaking, this is in California, he was speaking at a Christian school, a Christian university. And he made the point that the Bible teaches that marriage is between a man and a woman and it is to be for until death do us part. And the students at the university, Christian university, half the students stood up and walked out in a Christian university. So the book is not even wanted in some Christian's environment. Our children are asked to believe something that 90% of the world do not want. Yet, To reject it is to choose death. 
is to choose disintegration. Is to, you know, friends, I am so serious about this that, that I, I, I am reluctant because when we think of what our children are asked to do today, when God says, children, obey your parents, you go to a city like Chicago and half the kids don't know who their dads are. How do they learn? Where do they learn? Who gives them the privilege of speaking with them? I remember when my son, or my daughter, Lois, was the one who did a lot of this, but I remember when Christopher, I think, asked, or Heather, Heather was terrible at math. She did not, and the reason she was terrible is because she didn't like it. She just thought that math was something that she had no interest in. And, and so I sat down, and she asked, Dad, would you help me? And I remember helping her, and I'm happy to say she got a 90 that time. You know, that was uh, really, really <laughs> nice. And, and when she asked me to help her, you would have thought I lived in South Carolina. I won $1.6 billion. It was such a privilege for me to help my daughter with math. Because when I was a boy, my father was not at home to help me when I was having problems. And I had them. I had them. So this text is difficult. It's difficult for a lot of reasons. There are children who have been hurt by their parents. Children who have been disappointed by their parents. And on and on it goes. So I ask you this morning to listen to God's word, not to my opinion about it. Listen to what God has to say to parents and to children. From the Bible we learn, first of all, that children are God's gifts. Children are gifts from God. Psalm 127, verse 3. Behold, children are a heritage. Interesting word. The newer translations say gift, and, and gift is a good translation, but the word that's a heritage is more than a gift. You see, I can give a gift that I am I'm giving, you know, by the way, I have a good illustration. We're giving gifts to children in, 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 uh, in Honduras, but we don't know those children. We're giving because we have a compassionate heart and we know that we were given and so we want to give. But heritage is where someone comes near to you and gives you something that you don't deserve that you didn't ask for. So heritage is, is more than a gift. Heritage is what is behind. It's like an inheritance. So, so when we say that children are gifts, what do we mean? In Genesis chapter 4 and verse 1, I love the King James translation. It says, and the man knew his wife. The man knew his wife. <laughs> I would think that he knew his wife. 
but the word is talking about marital intimacy. Adam became intimate with his wife, and when the first human being came into the world by means of mother and father, husband and wife, listen to what Eve said. I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. With the help of the Lord. Every, preg every pregnancy has three participants. The father, the mother, and God. I have gotten. And then the psalmist goes on. Goes on to talk about the way in which God participates in a mother carrying a child. Because they are gifts from God, they're sacred. They're sacred. What do I mean by sacred? Listen, the psalmist David was thinking of his own existence, and he said, you formed me in my mother's womb, my inward parts. You knitted me together. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. When children are brought into the world, they are not simply the performance of husband and wife. They are the production of God. And because they are the production of God, they are therefore sacred. They are not there for, who cares? No. If I am a creature of God, then life must be seen as sacred. And because I am a product of the wonderful mystery of God's participant in my existence, I cannot see life as being disposable. Life is not disposable. Children are heritage of God. My friends, I can't explain it. I can't explain why some married couples have children and some don't. I can't explain why some children are brought into the world stillborn. Some of the most difficult experiences in my life has been that. But this much I know, Lois and I, every time I talk about children, we have a wonderful, wonderful girlfriend in Toronto. Kim is now 45, 50. She was born defective, if you please, from the time she entered the world. I have been living here now in Oregon since 2003. Just before we left, dear Kimmy, I call her Kimmy, every time she sees me, her face just lights up. It says, Pastor, I remember you baptized me. <laughs> Pastor, I love you and Lois, you know. And her father and mother would, Kim, leave them alone. I said, no, leave her alone. 
And she wrote me a little note, which I carry in my briefcase up to this moment. And every time I look at my briefcase, I see the note from Kimmy. In spite of her defect, my friend, she's fearfully and wonderfully made. A year ago, she lives in a home. <laughs> and she went on a trip with others from the home to France. And I thought, Kimmy, I have never been to France, and here you are going to France. <laughs> oh, my friends, that little life, that little life, she's not little anymore, she's little stature because she never grew. She's about that high. But oh, what a beautiful life that is. It's a sacred life. And one of these days, God is going to correct the defect. And one of these days, my friends, little Kimmy, I say little Kimmy, she is going to receive from God the smile that you and I, with our bodies all together, never experienced. Life is sacred. Children are sacred. And when people dispose them, uh, Ethel Waters, I always think of this, great black singer with the Billy Graham crusade and became ambassador to the UN, was born into this world as a result of someone raping her mother. And when Ethel Waters grew up and received Christ at the Billy Graham crusade in 1949, someone said something to her and Ethel Waters said, Honey, God don't make no junk. <laughs> God don't make no junk. No child brought in this world, no matter how they come, can be considered junk. If a child comes into the world, despite of the circumstances, that child is sacred because God has given that child life. So, gifts are sacred. But children are also susceptible. They are susceptible. I won't go into it, but in Luke 9, a mother brought her daughter to God, to Jesus, and said, my daughter is inflicted, my daughter is inflicted by a, a demonic spirit in Mark chapter 7, a father brought his son to Jesus and said, my son is afflicted. These are mysteries, friends, that you and I cannot fully understand. But when a child comes into the world, that child becomes in those moments susceptible to all kinds of difficulties I can't explain it. Why should this little innocent child come into the world possessed of an evil spirit? I don't know. But the scripture says, my friends, that our children are susceptible. But more than that, children come into the world 
with a bent to be bad. With a bent to be bad. Listen, listen to this. <laughs> I'll just give you one. We have two children. Heather, who is 43, 44, and Christopher, who is 29. And I'm thinking of what I'm going to remind him of at his wedding, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and, and, and Christopher was just a little chap, and he did something that he was not supposed to do. And like a wise father, I walked into the living room and I said to Christopher, who did this? And he said, my brother. <laughs> we don't have a brother. I, I don't... I don't have another child. Where did he get that from? <coughs> Children are born, my friends, into this world. Listen, listen. When Rebecca was pregnant, the scripture says in Genesis chapter 25 that she experienced a fight in her stomach. And she couldn't understand it, so she went to God and she said, what is this going on within me? And God said, there are two nations in your womb. Oh, by the way, isn't it interesting? Megan, the Duchess of whatever, she's pregnant, but she's not pregnant with a fetus. They said it's a boy. Isn't that amazing? A boy. A human being. God knew that before the 21st century. And when the two boys were born, Esau came out of her mother's womb. And Jacob came afterwards holding on to his heels as if to say, I want to be first. Why should you be first? Those of, you know, Heather came home one day visiting with us, and she said, Dad, those two kids fight all the time, all the time. And I said, and me like a dummy, I said, you should have taken a page from your mother and mine book. We had you guys 15 years apart, so we never had any trouble. <laughs> that was not, I was not supposed to say that. Uh, she was not a happy camper. I said, Dad, I'm serious. <laughs> well, that's the only time in her life she raised her voice at me, as far as I remember. <coughs> who gave Job, uh, uh, I'm sorry, who <laughs> gave Jacob the idea to hold on to his brother's feet? They're born, friend. Listen to what David said. In sin, not by sin, in sin I was conceived. I came into this world with a bent to what is wrong. A child learns by what that child sees and hears. What goes into that child becomes a part of the psychic of that child. The child begins to think that. That's why child, children will always imitate what they see. Now I have a story of that to end the service with. So I'll just leave that for now. But it's interesting that when Esau came out, they named him. 
And as soon as Jacob came out, they named him Jacob. The, as if his parents saw a supplanter. That's what the word Jacob means. A supplanter. Someone who is underhanded is a trick, trick, trick or treater. That's what I want to say. Means that 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 person has a bent to this. And my friends, we have to accept it. If we understand what is going on in our world today, we you will understand that children are born with a capacity to grow into young people and teenagers. And if they do not have the right information given to them at youth, at home, someone said when our children go to university, that's not when they lose their faith. They didn't enter the university with a faith. They dumped that in, in, in middle school. And we have to be able to be there to give them what they need. But please listen. Children are also spoken to. Children are spoken to. Have you ever thought that in the Decalogue or the Ten Commandments, you have the four here and the four here. Five here, five here, and four here. And right in the middle, you know what the middle one is? Children, obey your parents. God speaks to children. We must, we, must, we must be sensitive to know at what time we tell them certain things. But my friends, if we do not speak to our children, someone else will. And by the way, let, let, let me speak of Ontario. I'm more familiar with them. My friends, the government is seeking to take the most important part of a child's life and indoctrinate that life politically and immorally. They're teaching children at age four about gender, about sex. And don't bring God into it. Don't bring God into it. God saw the need that when these little ones come into the world, that we must communicate with them because he does. He does. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land which the Lord is giving you. Now please listen, friends. I am not at all ignorant of the fact that this is more difficult than it says. That is why God speaks to parents about their children, not only to children, about their parents. Let me tell you what our children are hearing today. Come, mothers and fathers all over the land. Don't criticize what you don't understand. Your sons 
and your daughters are beyond your command. Your old road is rapidly fading. Please get out a new one if you can't lend a hand because the times, they are changing. Our children are told, you don't have to listen to your parents. They're old-fashioned. They're going to tell you things that will set you behind. They don't tell you politically. But my friends, the only people capable of preparing a child morally are the homes in which they're born into. That's what God says. That's why when Moses was old enough, he was able to make decisions. That's why Daniel was able to make decisions. Because somehow they were indoctrinated by their parents. So Colossians chapter 3 says, fathers, and it, it's mother, but the father was the head of the home, as the Bible teaches. Not the boss, but the head. That means he was the example. So that when God brings children into the world, he brings them with the capacity to hear when they're spoken to. Fathers, well, let me wait just for a moment. Let me quickly go. Children are God-protected. Children are God-protected. That's what we have in our text. Fathers, do not provoke. That means do not do those things which lead your children to anger. Because it can happen. Do you know, my friends, this past week, Twice in Portland, one boy was sentenced for killing his parents in Albany, Oregon. A 14-year-old boy was arrested a week ago yesterday for trying to kill his parents, poisoning them and setting the house on fire. He and a 14-year-old, and you know why they were doing it? They didn't want their parents to tell them anything. Don't criticize if you don't understand, because the times are changing. And they are. They are. May I just take a little rabbit trail here? If you don't have children at home, sure, I understand. But there are children in this church that need your prayers. And the children that you have released from your home, they need your prayers. Because, friends, they are surrounded by evil. The spirit that is now at work in the disobedient. In Toronto, this past week, the Toronto Sick Children's Hospital, one of the most prestigious hospitals for children in the world, that's where the best of the best doctors in the world come to deal with children. And, and some of the children you see in there, oh my, so hard to see. The baseball players, the hockey players, uh, they all go there to try and bring some, some life into these children whose lifespan is not three scores and ten to be sure. But a white paper, a white paper, that's a paper that is given with a suggestion. 
And three doctors at the Sick Children's Hospital a week ago presented a paper where they were saying children under 18 should be given the right to end their own lives. Under 18. Denmark started with 18 and up. Toronto is saying 18 and under. The times they are changing. So God speaks to children. We must speak to them as well. Let me quickly close. Children are God protected. What do I mean by that? It means that God speaks by parents, children. God protects children by giving them parents. <laughs> Every time I say that, I remember hearing Billy Graham telling this story about the, the young girl who was having a spat with her mother, and she looked into her mother's face and said, I didn't ask you to be born, you know. And she said, I know. And chances are, if you did it, the answer would have been no. <laughs> Too late then, friends. God, God created. The only two people born without parents were Adam and Eve. After that, every, every life that comes into the world takes two people. Now, I've got to be careful. We're living in a very technological age. And if you read some of the news this past week, I don't even need to go into it. This is a sacred desk behind which I stand, and I don't need to pollute my mind with that. But they're doing things that are unbelievable to try and get rid of the fact that it takes a father and a mother to bring a child into the world. Technology, the times are changing. So what do we have then? God talks to parents. Luke chapter 2, verses 35 to 39, 52, Jesus was subject to his parents. The Son of God recognizing the fatherhood of God. And he was into the world. And God brought him in, into a home with a father and a mother. Of course, born through the mother, conceived by the Holy Spirit. But into, into a home that was, was led by Joseph. And when God brought him into the world, until it was time, Jesus subject himself to his parents. Some parents make it easy. Other parents make it difficult. So by providing parents, secondly, by warning parents, fathers, do not exasperate your children that they may not lose heart and become discouraged. Don't provoke your children to anger. They can be influenced for good or for bad, emotionally or morally. Parents then are stewards, not owners of children. Children learn from parents. And when we provoke them, please listen, when we provoke them in any way to anger, to wrath, to discouragement, parents, we become answerable to God. I won't read it all that I have in my notes here because my time is just about up. In two kings, and they abandoned all the commandments of the Lord their God and made themselves 
metal images of two calves, and they made Ashtarosh, and worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served Baal, and they burned their sons and their daughters as offering, and used divination and omen, and sold themselves to do evil. Therefore, the Lord was angry. The Lord was angry. Ezekiel chapter 22. Fathers and mothers are wrong in you. They wrong their children. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 4, when Paul talks about the end times and all the horrible things going on, right there he puts, children will be disobedient to parents. God speaks to parents about their children. Is this what I... I have it here. Children, the right thing for you to do is to obey your parents as those whom God has set over you. This is the first commandment. By the way, the commandment, children, obey your parents, is the only positive command in the Ten Commandments. Every other command is negative. But the one to the children is positive. Obey your parents. For it is right, it is pleasing to God. God has given you parents for that purpose. Well, let me close, even though I, there is much more to say. God speaks and protects children by warning the culture. God warns the culture. God said he's a father to the fatherless. Thou hast seen it. For thou hast beheld mischief and vexation, so take it into thy hands. There has been a helper to the orphans. Same word in the Hebrew, fatherless and orphans. In England, Mother's Day card that has this. Let me see which one I should take. Have a happy you day for Mother's Day. A happy you day. They don't want mothers in it. Dad, thank you for being such an awesome mother. That's what the culture is doing, friends. And listen to what God says. The culture who causes one of these little ones to reject me to see as obsolete my commandments. It would be better if a millstone be tied around the neck of those who do it and they be cast into the bottom of the sea. That is better than putting a stumbling block before a child. I don't like to do this, but my time is up. Let me, let me close with a story I came across from a book written by Stuart Briscoe. And he takes this from Smoke on the Mountains, written by Joy Davidson, who writes concerning, uh, David, I'm sorry, who writes um, uh, the grim, some of the grim tales. The story tells of some parents who had had both children and grandfather living in their home. Grandfather was getting a little old and sloppy. At mealtimes, he tend to get his soup and porridge in places they shouldn't have gone. The parents felt 
concerned about this and remonstrated with Granddad, but he really couldn't do anything because he didn't understand. In the end, the couple didn't allow the old boy to sit at the table with the family anymore. He had to sit in a corner. Joy Davidson paints a very sad picture of this old man stuck in the corner of a room in disgrace because he couldn't handle his food well. Being isolated didn't help. In fact, it just allowed the situation to deteriorate until the old man couldn't eat at all. So they put his food in a, a trowel and took away his knife and fork and spoon. So he, made a, he had to pick up the food with his fingers and stuff it in his mouth. The situation went from bad to worse until one day the parents noticed the children playing in the shed. The youngsters had a saw and some wood and a hammer and nail, and they seemed to be building something. The parents asked, what are you building? The children responded, we're building one of the things that you built for daddy, for granddad. What they had done to her father, her children were getting ready to do to them when they get old. Because friends, whatever we sow, we reap. And if we fail to give our children the nurture and admonition of the Lord, we can't expect them unless by some miracle of grace, God captures them in their Damascus, win them to himself, and put them in a church where men and women will care for them and nurture them, even if the father and mother forsake them. Children, obey your parents. Parents, be honorable for your children to want to honor you. Let us pray. Father, I pray that somehow your word would speak where my words can never go. And so we take the next 20 or so seconds to allow whatever God has said to us that we may respond. Pray that you will heal memories, Lord, that are painful. I pray that you will bring reconciliation where relationships have been severed. And I pray that the devil will get no opportunity to cause anyone in this congregation to live one more day with the hurts of the past. That they will find a refuge in you and in this church. And, oh God, we pray that you will finish this message as you have started it for your glory. And not only for the good of Sodaville Church, but for the good of Sodaville, of Lebanon, of Albany, of Salem. 
to the glory of God. In Jesus' name.